0: Listening
1: to the Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Cornfeld. My guest today is the great Sam Rogal. Thank you for being here, Sam.
0: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: Sam performs weekly with the great Metal Boy on mm. Wednesday nights as part of Megawatt. I also perform with a Friday night show. Nice to have you on the show.
0: Oh. It's nice to be here.
1: You, uh, uh, if I'm correct in this, got your start improvising at Bucks Rock Summer Camp, Mm -hmm. along with everybody else. Yeah, the list is long. Uh, Can can you talk about Bucks Rock Summer Camp?
0: (sighs) Yeah, I mean, I was 12 years old and uh, my family was living in Richmond, Virginia, uh, which is not like an exciting or cool or interesting place. Um, especially for younger, they're like, whatever, cool parts of the city. But, uh, when you're like in middle school and high school, there's not a lot of cool stuff there, especially if you are a like artistic child. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went to Bucks Rock and it was in New Milford, Connecticut in the North, you know, when I was living in the South. Um, and I just met people there who like, I mean, they, they completely changed my life and just being exposed to kids who were into art who were artists who wanted to be artists and adults who were teaching there who had uh dedicated their lives to art and who were not just passionate about art but had found a way to a lot of them do art professionally um really changed the way i thought about like paths in life um and then on top of that like i i was into comedy when i was you know really young from like a very young age i was always drawn to it and drawn to performing uh and then I went to Bucks Rock and I met professional performers uh who wanted who were excited about the idea of teaching kids mm-hmm. uh and I think that's one of the big benefits of that camp is that you meet like adults who want you to be great mm-hmm. you know um and yeah and like <laughs> I, I mean the people I met there are my like lifelong friends Uh, both kids I went to camp with and, uh, people who I met there who were like adult counselors, like Louis Perlman's a good example Mm -hmm. of like someone who I've known for 14 years, 16 years, maybe, um, who, you know, there is an age gap between us, but like, and he was like a teacher, uh, uh, but he's like one of my closest friends, you know?
1: Yeah. There's an age gap in terms of like, uh uh revolutions of the earth around the sun. Yeah, exactly. But apart from that there's not much of an age gap there. No.
0: <laughs> not really. Yeah. <laughs> what's the,
1: like what's the short list of other people who went to this camp? Okay. It's uh, like astounding.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I mean uh uh Alana Fishbine, mm-hmm. uh Louie, uh Pat May, uh uh I mean do you want me to go to non-magnet people? Sure. Uh you have uh Griffin Newman, mm-hmm. who's going to be on The Tick.
1: Yes, huge. Uh, huge um, deal. He's Arthur.
0: Yeah, he's going to be Arthur on The Tick. He is Arthur on The Tick. Um, uh, was just on Search Party mm-hmm. uh, for the Magneteers. Um, uh, uh, Ezra Miller, who's mm-hmm. The Flash, mm-hmm. uh, went to camp. Um, L. King, who sings X's and O's, <laughs> Grammy-nominated. Uh, uh, Sadie Dupuy- um, uh, these are just people who I went there with too. Yeah. Like there's a whole other list of like the guy who played Buttnick on Salute Your Shorts. Can't Bobby Buttnick. Yeah. Classic, <laughs> the classic rebel character. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, Pat May, uh-huh. I'd be, you know, arrested if I didn't mention Pat.
1: Also the classic rebel character. Yeah,
0: um, Alejandro Colini, mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, writer of the former writer on the truth, mm-hmm. uh, comedian in New York. You know, it's just, it's, it's a endless list of people. And you know, it's, it's one of those places where, Yes, it attracts kids who are already on that path, mm-hmm. but I think that for a lot of those people, it is what helps to accelerate them on it, and and it gives you like, box rock gives you like a validation. Yeah. in 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 performing, you know, I I like like I said, you know, I went there. I was very young, very like uh, not like experienced with the world that much. You were eleven. I was twelve. 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 My first summer it was two thousand. Um, And it it just like, it it just completely changed the way that I saw, uh, pretty much everything. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to, uh, really describe, like, there's that thing of like, Oh, like, I don't know uh, if I would be here if it hadn't been for Bucks rock. And by here, I mean like New York and the magnet, et cetera. But it's also like, I don't know who I would be as a person without that camp. Um, I mean like to talk more specifically about like the training I got there. Uh, you know, there was this, there's a comedy shop there called the clown shop. Um, and you know, they, when I got there, they were only teaching short form and doing sketch shows. Um, and then as my, as I went there more, they started teaching long form. Like I started learning long form at 16, you know? Um, and so by the time that I was walking into classes as an adult, I had like definitely the basics down it was very like comfortable performing. And, you know, it, it just like, it puts you, it puts you in a better place to learn Mm -hmm. when you're not like all in your head, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I mean, another, another box rock person I should talk about is uh, Becky Drysdale, Mm -hmm. who was, you know, a big improviser, uh, wrote on Key and Peel, writes for Baskets now. You know, when I was uh, 17, um, I was a CIT under Becky. Mm-hmm. Um, that Ka- was two-
1: counseling training for you. Kids out there who yes. uh, have never been to camp.
0: Who did not go to a sleep camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that, I mean, it's like, she was like, uh, uh, it's so hard to put into words because we had heard about her before that summer mm-hmm. because she was already starting to sort of like pop. She had done like the, Asp- the old Aspen Comedy Festival. She was like doing a one-woman show. You know, she was this person who we had like, all these like whisperings about she had formerly been a camper and CIT and staff member at Bucks Rock. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, we can't believe Becky's coming this summer. Cause she's like in the middle of her career, like really starting to take off. And so, uh, especially the five CITs, the other ki- uh, kids I was working with, we were all like, well, like, is she going to be this like hard ass? Like, but e- e-, like we knew she was someone before we even got there that we wanted to impress like i spent that summer trying hard to like impress her you know and like she was the type of like leader and counselor that uh like inspired you to work hard mm. you know and and as a 17 year old especially i was like wow like she's she was like it, it was like she was like yoda you know like in that she would teach you And then every once in a while she would show you what she could do. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, she would teach us improv and long form and all these like things. And then every once in a while she would perform with us and you would see her like lift the X wing out of the swamp, you know? And it's like, it took you aback. Um, I I remember that summer waking up every day and thinking like, I hope I make Becky laugh today. Mm -hmm. You know, like, and I remember, uh, almost every time I made Becky dress to laugh that summer. Cause they were like, uh, uh, like, I was like, oh my God. Like if I can, if I can make this person laugh, like if I, if she thinks that I'm good, then there must be something here. You know, I, and it like that summer in particular uh, gave me a confidence that I was able to carry forward after that. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the best, besides like actually teaching me improv, that was probably like the best gift that Becky gave, you know,
1: yeah, uh, validation that
0: you Oh, yeah.
1: do you remember like what she was doing specifically when she was improvising with you guys that was so that like set the benchmark for you?
0: There was an, there was an effortlessness to how funny she was, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it wasn't just in performing. It was like when we would have a staff meeting, you know, I would be like holding back laughter, just her like describing stuff we needed to, to do the next day or talking about campers, you know? And uh, uh, when she was performing, she has an ability to carry herself into characters, Mm -hmm. uh, which is something that like, I mean, you know, everybody has different styles, but it's something I've always liked that idea that like, you always carry uh, your personal experiences into whatever character you're playing. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was always like, Becky, but she was also able to, you know, slip on these coats. So it was so effortless. Her, her humor and like her improv is it, she makes it look so easy, you know? And uh, uh, it wasn't just like watching her skill, watching her build scenes and watching her build characters and find the exact funny thing to say at the right time. You know, it's, it's just like, I mean, she was also just like, so intelligent, but also could like, tell the funniest poop joke that you've ever heard, you know? Um, And I still catch myself sometimes uh, making moves and I'm like, well, that's a Becky move. Like I just stole that from Becky, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But yeah, I've always like, I think that was, that was a big thing. is like always carrying yourself into what you're doing. She was always Becky, even when she was, you know, a character. Mm
1: -hmm. I was always um, impressed not only with how like skillfully, precise she was, but there, there's like, um, uh, she has a really cutting, ironic mm. voice that kind of, uh, um, shuts you up Yeah, in the funniest way possible. Just like that, that thing of like everybody that you work with is really funny, but then there's some people who, who make you go like, oh shit, yeah, you're the smartest person in this room. Yeah. And she was one of those people yeah. of like, oh, God damn it. I don't want to piss Becky Drysdale oh, off. Oh no.
0: Oh, I mean, we were like. I mean, we were uh, terrified of her as well, you know, obviously. And like, not, not because she was like, she wasn't like hard on us at all. She, she had this thing, this, like this type of leadership I've always responded to where she gave us just enough responsibility and just enough like rope that we could do great on our own and feel like we accomplished something, Mm -hmm. not like her accomplishing something through us, but also that like. She gave us enough room to screw up. Like she gave us enough room that like, um, for example, we uh, she left us in charge of the weekly improv show that the clown shop would put on uh, over the summer. And what that basically meant was uh, we had two camper improv teams, a sort of basics team, like kids were less experienced, kids were younger and an advanced team. They would both perform every week. Uh besides that the CITs were in charge of booking the opening acts who would be like kids who wanted to do like stand up or tell a funny story or sing a funny song they wrote or juggle or whatever
1: Meanwhile are these kids like studying elsewhere in the camp learning oh, this yeah. stuff or these are like their own skills
0: Uh sometimes it was their own skills sometimes it was stuff they did in other shops I okay. mean there was like tons of visual and performing arts at the camp okay. um and uh I, it sounds easy Right. It sounds simple to just be like, uh, there's five of us. We just need to make sure we have two acts every week to open the show. And it was shocking how bad we were at that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, when we would only have one act or we'd be like literally running minutes before the show around camp <laughs> trying to find an act. Um, it was like this thing of like, oh, like we disappointed Becky this week. Mm-hmm. And she was never like mad at us, but she like was like, guys, like, you know, you need to do better. This is your show. You need to take pride in this. Um, And that's another, like, thing she taught us is, like, taking pride in your work um, and, like, uh, uh, being, working hard and having that equal good work. Mm -hmm. You know, which to, like, again, sounds redactive, but uh, to a 17-year-old, that's, like, a lesson that still needs to be learned sometimes, you know? What was like, what's
1: the environment um, improvising with teens who are, like, we have a lot of teens here at the Magnet. Yeah. I've been lucky enough to have a bunch of them in my class. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I don't know, okay, I don't have the right words for this exactly. I don't mm-hmm. know how to describe it. They have all of the same uh, issues that your average teenager would have. Yeah. But- the polls are reversed in them. That's been my perception. Whereas the average teenager is grappling with everything internally and doing their best job not to give anything away of like how they're feeling or what they're thinking, mm-hmm. or like they're very like closed off and very much in a conforming headspace mm-hmm. or, or at least a, uh, uh, um, I'm going to give the appearance of checking out and being totally uninterested and unengaged and have a bad attitude headspace. But really I desperately want attention and and I want to make people laugh, but I don't want to put myself on the line. I get the sense of the same kind of nervousness among a lot of improv teens, but the pole is switched in that they just do all the right things instead. So there's this amazing sense of this like sophisticated grown-up intelligence that's coming through a teenager's body. And it, it creates like... Some really awesome, exciting work.
0: Yeah, they're definitely, <laughs> like, teen teen improv and teenage, like, I can speak from both being a teenager who improvised and teach it, like, later when I got hired and became counselor at Bucks Rock, like, teaching teenagers. Yeah. Um, and I think that as when I was one, um, to do that, to take a class, to get, in front of an audience as a teenager is a, a big deal, you know, because uh, you're at that stage where like you're still looking for like, quote unquote, like your thing. Mm-hmm. And especially if you've like put your chips into it, um, it becomes an even bigger deal because you're like, well, this is my thing. Like if this doesn't work out, like who, who am I? Like that's something that teenagers are are still trying to figure out. At least I was mm-hmm. um, of like, oh, Like, I think, I think I'm the funny guy. Like, I think I'm the, like, in in high school, like, I think I'm the the jokester, but, like, maybe I'm not. Um, And so, you know, there is this, like, realm of pressure, and it takes, it takes time, obviously, to release that. And, like, those, that's when, like, you see teenagers, like, really, like, because they're not, they're also not adults. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have the same... Uh, uh, they're not as beaten down for being unique as like an adult may be mm-hmm. over like a long period of time. Um, so some yeah, you're right. Like sometimes you get teenagers who are just like super relaxed and way more open than an adult improviser would be. But I've also seen teens like tighten up. Um, I'll actually speak about Pat a little bit because this sort of reminds me of him. Um,
1: Pat May, American Rebel.
0: Pat May, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> the Magnet's dreamboat. No. Um. He, uh, I met him in 2005 at Bucks Rock. Um, and he was someone who was, we had, like I said, we had two improv teams that met every day, um, an advance and a beginner. And then we also had an hour of drop-in where anybody who didn't want to be on a team just wanted to like show up and screw around, um, could do that. And Pat was coming to the drop-ins, um, and none of us really knew him from outside the shop mostly talking about the CITs. Um, and we were like, he just had, a, a, he had that thing, that natural, like, and he still has it, like uh, an openness mm-hmm. um, and a relaxed attitude. to. He never seemed tight when he was improvising. He didn't seem to have that thing that we saw from a lot of uh, other kids at the camp of like, that resistance, that like shield, mm-hmm. you know, those walls. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were like, holy shit, like, is this guy like for real? Like, um, and uh, we saw him enough that we were, we talked to him. We were like, Hey, like you should audition for the uh, you know, the teams, like you're good enough just naturally to be on a team. And he was open to it. And then we were also like, we, we, I remember we like, we got together and we had this meeting where we're like, should we like recommend him to Becky? Cause she hadn't seen him um, as someone who's good enough to be on the advanced team. And again, this comes to Becky where it's like, well, like if we do that, she will probably put him on. But like uh, if he's like a total disaster, it's mm-hmm. on us. Mm-hmm. Like, again, it's that like responsibility thing. We're like, she will trust us. Um, but then of course, like we did and he, you know, is Pat, like the rest is history. Like mm-hmm. there's no, Like, he was always great um, uh, and always, always different uh, than even the teens around him then. Even the people who'd been working for, like, most of the summer already. He just immediately came in and had that thing that, like, that, you know, uh, that certain uh, uh, I don't know what, Uh you know, (laughs) Um, uh, that just, like, has, he's obviously honed it since then in the, you know, 11 years since then.
1: But it's um, also something that you can't,
0: it's something you, you can't, can't
1: learn to do what he does. You either do yeah. that or you don't do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's like a sunset, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know,
1: I never, I went to like a science camp briefly and mm-hmm. I left like mid summer. So I didn't even get the full experience. And I was always like really attracted to, they had like perf- performance groups and whatnot, but it was the kind of thing where it was like, hey, you like drama? Let's do yeah. some scenes in the forest or like whatever, like the hell it was. No discipline. No, you weren't held accountable for anything. You, it wasn't the point to be held accountable for right. everything. It was just like, have fun. Uh, but it sounds like it, you not only find your tribe at Bucks Rock, but it also sounds like you're given both a creative education, but also that level of accountability and and discipline that seems to like kind of put it in your genes about like being serious about a career.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. And they pride themselves on that at the camp. Um, You know, they always say that uh, uh, it's more, they're like very like journey focused, not goal focused Mm -hmm. um, at Bucks Rock. And there's no like, you know, summer camps differ, but at Bucks Rock specifically, there's no like set schedule. Like there are kids who you can probably get away with not doing anything all day for the whole summer, mm-hmm. probably at Bucks rock. Like there are counselors who will push you to do things, but you don't have a set schedule except for, uh, the performing arts where there are rehearsals and things you need to show up for. And if you don't show up, uh, you get kicked out of stuff, you know, like, um, like the, and the, the, you know, the theater department there takes that very seriously. And we took it seriously at clown as well, where it's like, uh, you know, we want kids who want to be there, who want to participate. Um, And you know, if you're not showing up, like it's okay, but like that's then like go somewhere else. And that's like, even early on when I was going there as a, you know, young teenager, I was immediately like, no, like I'm going to be early to all my rehearsals. Like this is like, yes, like I will show up. Like I'm going to be one of the, like, I wanted to be one of the kids who showed up who was, um, uh, you know, who was at the shop constantly. And like, I, I also did like, I did other stuff there, um, as a camper, I did like plays and I didn't do any visual arts cause I'm not visually talented. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I found other stuff to do and I, you know, box rocket inspired a level of commitment to that stuff, you know, uh, and something that I still think I have. Uh, yeah, definitely.
1: So then how did that, so that kind of gave you a sense of direction. Yeah. Uh do you remember a moment of kind of making a decision that you were dedicating yourself to a life of comedy was that a conscious decision or was it kind of an obvious natural course to take
0: I mean I don't I don't know if I ever sat down and was like was like yeah like this is what I'm going to do it was more just like I found myself I found myself on this path mm-hmm. um and especially those like uh, CIT summers at camp, definitely like, it was like, oh, like this is something that is working for me. and something I can do. Um, And I was able to bring some aspects of that, of what I was doing over the summers back with me to my high school. Um, Like my senior year, everyone had to do like a senior project, which could be like anything from like, you volunteer for two weeks at a homeless shelter or you like start like a little business or you uh, like write like a, you know, a book of short stories, stuff like that. And they gave you basically like a month to do that at the end of the year because seniors don't care about doing anything. Um, So I got with a friend and we wrote like a sketch show and like, that's something I could have never done without Bucks Rock, without Mm. like the training there of like, not only like how to write a sketch, but how to make sure your show is ready to be performed, Mm -hmm. how to make sure that like your sketches are solid, uh, how to costume it, how to light it. Um, You know, it's like, uh, I was able to bring, learning how to talk to a tech, like somebody who outside of the summer spends their life in professional theaters, Mm -hmm. teching real shows. And it's like, well, when I was 17, I learned how to explain to one how to light my sketch. It's like, well, that's something I can take back. And now I can explain it to, you know, the, the, the people working tech at my high school, how we want this show lit, you know? And so through that, I was like, yeah. And then it's like, I knew, I think from sophomore year of high school, I was like, I want to come to New York. I was like, New York's my goal always. Like, that's where all my Bucks Rock friends lived. That's where I knew there was comedy there. I knew I could learn how to be a comedian here. Um, And I was like, it was very like, I think- I think I applied to six colleges and five were here. Um, And the other one was Drexel Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia, you know? Um, And I was like, because I was just like very like, if I get to New York, everything else will fall into place. And I'll have all those opportunities that I don't have in Richmond. Even though Richmond now, uh, like a few years ago, opened a long form theater, um, which shocked me when I heard that. Do you know the people responsible for it? I know... A couple people who um, I went to high school with have, who are still in Richmond have done it. Uh, I don't know the people who started it. I think they are Canadians, mm. if my memory serves me. Um, I think they were Toronto people who came down and started that theater. Mm-hmm. Could totally be wrong. Okay. Um, but either way, um, it's like the only game in town, you yeah. know? Um, and so, yeah. So I was very focused on coming to the city, Um and I was like, and everything else would just like fall into place. Yeah. You know, I,
1: you know, I kind of have a similar thing of like, well, if I weren't doing this, I honestly have no idea. Like I just, I just draw a blank. I have no picture of what my life would be if it, this was not a, there was no backup plan. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't even a plan. There was yeah. just this, it was just kind of, this is right. Yeah. This is where the river's flowing. Um, And I, it's like inconceivable. I I do not know. I do not know who I would be with. I do
0: not know what I'd be doing with my time. I have no clue. I mean, I, you know, I also like, I can't, it's, it's a hard thing for me to fathom even. Um, I mean, like I said, I've always been drawn to performing. It's just like, I think, you know, I mean, there are just people who are just bitten with that bug. Um, And like, yeah, like I still don't have a plan. Like there still isn't really a plan. It's just like, I'm still just like, well, like, let's see what happens, yeah, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, but there's a difference between like I'm just like aimlessly drifting. Yeah. Versus, um, uh, I'm going where it feels right. Mm-hmm. I'm going. You know what I mean? Like, there's a power that you get. You you like figure this out around like junior high school when you're able to start pulling laughs. Yeah. And there's like a power that comes with that, Ugh. and it just like feels like, all right, there's like juice there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so like that to me is kind of. Been my half-ass, crappy game plan. It's like not so much drifting as like, well, you stay where the source of the electricity is. Yeah. Uh, as long as it still feels like you're getting that jolt, that's probably where you're supposed to be. I guess I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like it's you know, I mean, you know, it's like hair. It's heroin, yeah. right? Like it really is. It's like that thing. I, I mean, I'm not the first person to compare improv to a drug, but it it's like it doesn't matter what it costs. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter what it costs in actual money. It doesn't matter what it costs in time mm-hmm. uh, or level of commitment or like occasional shittiness, which is pretty rare.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Propor- the proportion of shitty stuff that happens to you in a life of improv, I think, is far outweighed by the yeah. proportion of awesome stuff.
0: And like, you know, the best improvisers learn from bad shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you just like, I, I just, I will never, I'm, you know, <laughs> People people get on me. Uh, almost every improv coach I've had in my entire life um, has gotten on me a little for smiling during scenes, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I do. Uh, but it's just like, I'm just having so much fun. Yeah, I'm just having so much fun on stage. And it's like, would you get mad at a person for smiling when they were doing heroin? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, uh, um, and you know, obviously it's something that I work on, uh, but it really is just like, I am just having so much fun. You know, it's just, uh, it's hard. It's hard to put into words, you know?
1: I, you know, uh, the stick was pulled out of my ass a long time ago about smiling on stage. I used to be very like serious about that stuff. But uh, it's one of my favorite things about improv as opposed to like more legitimate theater Mm -hmm. is if the audience is willing to... Uh, uh forgive my shitty australian accent as i play this like tour guide in the outback and yeah. they're willing to forgive the fact that i'm laughing my way through this idiotic scene like they don't give a shit yeah nobody gives a shit except your coach yeah and and sometimes they only give a shit to like earn their earn their pay. (laughs) Like ultimately if the show is good enough where everyone's having a great time, nobody gives a shit that you are clearly not the character you're playing and are laughing hysterically. If you keep that job, you, you know what I mean? Like you keep yourself on task and keep on finding more funny stuff to do. It works and nobody cares. I love that.
0: It's also like, that's the type of energy I've always liked when I watch improv. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, it's like that looseness and like, this isn't, it's not like, There are, there is like that a school of thought in improv that like improv is acting, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And that like the best actors don't laugh their way through stuff, Mm -hmm. obviously. And like, I think there is something to be said for like commitment and like not every character you, that doesn't fit with every character you play, you know? But like, it's not, it's not theater. Like it's not, it's just not, you know, it's not, uh, uh it's not something where we've rehearsed and learned lines and locked stuff in, you know? And even when I go and see shows on Broadway, like I've seen people break mm-hmm. on stage and like, I love it. You know, it's just, I don't know. I just like, I love that energy. And like, especially on metal boy, like Jesus Christ, like it is, I, I don't know if we've had a show ever where multiple people haven't broken during the show, even our like less good shows. Yeah, I, I just, I like, I don't think that's happened.
1: Well, that's interesting because, I mean, so you've ended up on a team that basically embodies the the kind of show you want to be seeing.
0: Yes. Which is pretty lucky. It's incredibly fortunate.
1: <laughs> you know, teams are, are, being on a on a house team at a theater is a lot like being in an arranged marriage. Yes. You know, you have to compromise and you have to kind of figure each other out. Mm-hmm. and And you didn't choose, you chose to enter into marriage as an institution, but you didn't choose the people that you're with and it's super rare that you end up getting to do the show that fits your dream of what a show should look like you have to learn to do what this particular show is sometimes you can make that compromise and it works out great and sometimes you never find your footing but you happened with metal boy to land on on a show that clearly makes you very happy
0: yeah uh i mean i've <laughs> they <laughs> they always like we we also We love each other, you know, and I think that you can see that on the stage. And I think you can see that if you talk to any one of us about the team for more than 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they like to say that I'm a bit of like the grump of Mm -hmm. the team, which I don't think I am. Uh, Maybe. I think you are. Really? A little bit. (sighs) I guess.
1: I, you're I, you're the one on the team who, when it's getting out of control, you're the one who's like, "All right, focus, guys."
0: Yeah, so. that's that does uh, in general. That just like yeah, because but it's because because I love improvising with them. Yeah, you know because those two and a half hours we spend a week improvising are like amazing. They're so great, and like even in rehearsals, like that's that's a great example. So like, <laughs> you know, when we start rehearsals, uh, uh, there's always that like time before rehearsal <laughs> yeah. starts we are just sitting around talking yeah. and I am always like buzzing to get started. Yeah. I just want to start. I want to make sure that we spend every minute of those two hours performing together. Cause that's like, that's what I love to do with them. And I think that like, it is such a source of joy and it's like, let's do it. Let's do like, let's go, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, to get back to what you're saying about being lucky, it's like, yeah, uh, insanely, insanely lucky to find myself on that team. Um, uh, and insanely lucky that we not only clicked on stage, but clicked off stage really hard. Yeah. Um, it never
1: seemed like it was something that you guys had to work at together. It kind of, you guys came together and were sort of, you hit the ground running.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, I was on, and to be fair, I was on three teams before that, Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't work for various reasons. Um, but, uh, we're still, I think, uh, you know, all those teams, uh, the flood, Zeppelin, Magic Dad, uh, did work that I was proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did work that I was proud of. But it took, I, I mean, I would not be the improviser I am today without those three teams before mm-hmm. that, of just like being on the flood and having be my first team and putting a stupid amount of pressure on myself to perform well. And not only that, but I had this thing of like, I can, I'm gonna help steer the show, which is like an insane thought to have not insane, but like definitely not helpful to me as an improviser mm-hmm. thinking that way during shows. Um, and I, you know, uh, uh, having that team not work and be like, I was like, I was, uh, shocked and sad. Cause I was happy. You know, those are all great improvisers. I was happy to work with them. I was happy to be, I was like, Oh, I've been on a cut team, but, uh, something you said when you cut us, that I always remembered after that was like, it's good. It's good to be cut. Mm. It's good to be on a cut team. You know, um, it will make being cut in the future, not seem as bad or as scary, which it's not, you know, it's really not. Um, and I say that to all (laughs) magnet improvisers who have been on like cut house teams where it's like, it's okay, you know, and I was not as worried about being cut on my next team Mm. on Zeppelin. Um, And, or on Magic Dad, like when both those teams got cut, I was sad uh, when it happened, Uh, but I was like, okay, like I'm ready for the next challenge, you know? Um, And then like, Metal Boy just felt different immediately. It felt different immediately from any of those teams. Mm -hmm. Um, Not just like, because our performance quality was good and we were happy with that, just like the energy, the energy of, of rehearsals the energy of hanging out together, everybody everybody on Metal Boy, I'm speaking for all nine of us, we all wanna be there. Mm-hmm. We all want to make every rehearsal. We all want to be at every show, um, which isn't like, and I've experienced on teams not only at Magnet, but you know everywhere where it's like, even one or two people not gelling with that energy uh, can make things tough, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and to really like cook to like, cause it makes, if, if even like one or two people on a team are projecting an energy of like, I don't want to be here. I, I like, you know, for whatever reason, it's like, then it makes you feel stupid again. Yeah. It's that thing of like, there's a thin line when you're doing any performance, specifically comedy, specifically improv of like, we are kind of making fools of ourselves we're we're making stuff up. We're having fun, make pretend time, you know. And it's like if one person is like whatever, then it's like oh, like it makes everybody sort of like shrink.
1: Yeah, there's something uh uh like there's something about improv when it works where you are being um like heroically stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like all all the. Uh, all the gears are are engaged. all the pistons are firing. Your brain is at peak performance with everybody else. yeah, you're using all of your wits and smarts to do the stupidest fucking thing you could possibly think of. Mm-hmm. um and you're totally right. like all it takes is like a little bit of like off energy in that for that to go from heroically stupid to feeling kind of pathetic, oh, yeah. And then you become like incapable of doing it. It, Mm -hmm. it, Like it's really interesting. You can, you can, you can make all the right moves and have none of the spirit behind it that make those moves animated.
0: Yeah. And it's it's also just, it's a comfort level. Yeah. Um, and like, (laughs) it's funny to talk about like, like to talk about Pat again, um, you know, uh, he's someone who I also have uh, uh, a duo with, mm-hmm. uh, the Eye tie. Um, and when we perform uh, one-on-one, I'm like, I, I find myself in awe of him sometimes because he has no, again, like he just doesn't have that wall, that filter, that thing where it's like, he's always going 100%.
1: There's no self-consciousness there. No. and And he's not... He doesn't like, or he doesn't seem to be calculating the the way so many of us are are calculating.
0: Constantly. And I'm like that. I have a math brain. Yeah, You know, we're like, uh, especially in Heralds, I'm always like, okay, so like we're in like scene 2B, which means that like we should be heightening the game from 1B, but also like we have that second group game coming and then like, what am I, like always doing that stuff, which is bad (laughs) um, to some extent. Uh, but I feel like Pat, Pat is just g- going. Yeah, you know, he just like he just goes, and it's something that I uh, uh, respect a lot, um, and wish I could emulate. Yeah, um, uh, but I don't know if anyone can. <laughs>
1: I don't think so. I, yeah. I and and is that, I mean, I think that, that that's something that's kind of true across the board of everybody on your team. Yes, yeah. everyone is very unique. Mm-hmm. Everyone comes together to form a larger whole that works amazingly well everyone is very comfortable with themselves yeah and everyone is very good at making everyone else comfortable with themselves you you guys are refreshingly free of like gossip and politics and taking sides and like offstage bullshit just doesn't seem to be there
0: I mean it's it's there, but it's never an issue, yeah, we've yet to have like something that's like, oh, this is an issue, right. Um, you know, we have little things pop up. I think every team has that, but um I also I think that uh, not to make a deep sports metaphor, please buckle your seatbelt, <laughs> um, but um, to me, and like I think Nick Cannells and I have talked about this a little bit, that I think an improv team is specifically like a basketball team. Mm-hmm in that like uh, in other sports you have people who have like very specific positions right like a quarterback in football he throws the ball that's what he does he'll never uh, go on defense and make a tackle he'll never kick a field goal right in basketball while you do have people who are like better at certain things the best teams are the ones who do what is needed for the team in the moment mm-hmm. uh the best teams are the ones who where the center, who's most, whose job is mostly to block shots, can also hit a three-pointer, mm. you know? And it's about, I, I think that's something that Metal Boy's good at, is being malleable enough where like, we all have strengths. You know, we all like uh, uh, like Matt, like, you know, Matt's great at playing high status, right? But I've seen him so many times because the scene needs it, know, okay, well, I have to play low status mm. here. You know, and like Eli's like sort of the flip of that where like he usually tends towards low status, but like if a scene needs it, he will flip. Uh, And like, I think that's, and and that's true offstage as well, where it's like to avoid those dramatic things. It's like, sometimes you have to be like, well, like I'm in general, like a pretty laissez-faire person and I'll just like let whatever like happens, like go and like I'll go with the flow with like the team and stuff. But when- the team needs someone to schedule a rehearsal or book a room and no one else can do it. I have to be willing to step up and do Mm -hmm. it, you know? And it's like, it's both sides of that coin. Right.
1: Yeah. It's, it's flexibility. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it it totally, it, you know, they're, use like a medical analogy, there is like a little bit of like triage involved. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like, let's sort out our priorities and who's available to take care of what. And I'll step in to do this now because this needs attention. I'll back out because it doesn't need my help or whatever. It's flexibility. It, you know, it, it, what you're describing to me like in the back of my mind, when I'm teaching Harold, Mm. I think of it as like, well, this is the point behind the Harold to begin with. And I don't know if I'm really true to like the original, I I can't say what the original creators really wanted, Yeah, but my way of seeing it is like, well, this was the idea behind the Harold. And then eventually behind long form as its own thing was, it's the game that contains all other games.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's the game that you just keep on throwing every game that you have at it. And there's a room for that to exist in this one large, gigantic game. Mm-hmm. And it's chaotic. But by committing to the chaos of it, you kind of figure your shit out together. Yeah. And order appears in the middle of this chaos. And suddenly you figure out how all these different pieces come together. hmm which is like the, the a bunch of the Norwegians were here from Der Andre Teatret in Oslo this week, I and mean, they're fantastic. Yeah, I was in, uh, I went to their theater in September,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they just do amazing shows, but they're very steeped in Johnstonian improv, which is mostly short form. Mm. Um, And then when they do long form, it's really interesting. They have directors on stage who are like directing the action and will make moves to like, now we take this gentleman and we, and we see him later on that evening at home when he's talking to his sister, or like whatever it is, and they'll direct the action from on the stage. And it's like really cool. They get to come up with like sophisticated stories and whatnot. But like the thing that makes Harold so unique and that I think ultimately bleeds into long form as a, as, a, as an approach to improvising is not having any central brain behind any of that stuff. That it's not just limited to, we have play a game now that shows off your skills. Yeah. And then we'll play a game that shows off your, you're so good at moving, we're going to do a movement game. Mm-hmm. You're so good at puns, we're going to do a joke game. You are very emotional, so we're going to do a singing game. Yeah. It's not that where we're like choosing whose skills we're showing off right now. And it's not the Johnstone approach where we have someone in charge who's able to shape this for everybody. It's this thing of when it really comes alive, the entire team is just attentive to the needs of the show that they're in and adapt themselves to address those needs. Mm -hmm. I've been finding myself in Harold classes recently uh, um, becoming like really stubborn after like week five or six. I'm not answering people's questions as much. They'll raise their hand to ask, like, okay, but when this happens and then this happens, what should I do? And my answer is, like, I don't know. Yeah. Specifically, because in my mind, you're either going to learn that answer by doing the show, mm-hmm. you're either going to get that answer by paying attention to the other people on stage and seeing what they need right now, or you're not going to get it. Yeah. Because if I tell you, it's only going to be helpful in one situation, but it's not going to be helpful in the practical reality of, you're going to get up there and it's probably going to be different than what I told you it was going to be. So you got to pay attention to each other and figure that shit out.
0: I mean, I think that also, that also makes post-show notes a, such a challenge. Yeah. And I, until I started doing specifically Megawatt regularly, uh, didn't even really understand. Like, it's, I think it's, it's a hard job. And I've coached a couple Megawatt teams of like, what, what can you say? Mm-hmm after a show to a team that just performed for an audience, that will actually be helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think every coach has like a slightly different approach to it. Um, But it's like so much of what you do is like in the moment stuff. And it's like, it's hard to take one lesson and make it a bigger umbrella thing. Well,
1: it's actually, it can be really harmful because unless, unless you're talking to someone who's already, has that ability to be, to really trust themselves mm-hmm. and to hear a note and be like, okay, got it. Yeah. Unless you do that, you end up freezing someone in their brain now with this thought of like, okay, mm-hmm. don't do that again or do more of that thing again. Whereas like, really, it's like, well, in a best case situation, whether it worked or not, this person or these people took the shot in that mm-hmm. moment thinking yeah. that it would hopefully work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So like, you can't really penalize them for it. And if I point out of like, that was a mistake, the next time your instinct takes you there and it actually calls for it, you're probably going to like pull back Yeah, and then it's not going to work. So how useful was that note?
0: Yeah. And it's, it's almost like, uh, I think for an individual improviser to improve an issue that is specific to them, um, it's a lot like, like, like when you take like a yoga class and it's like, well, if you can't do like a certain position, uh, what do you do? And it's like, well, you try to do it, but you're going to fail for maybe a year before you're able to do it. And, and like, I feel like that's, and like, you know, one, like I, again, like to make it like personal, um, you know, there are certain things that like I tried to work on where it's like, this, this should be like a simple thing to do. It should be a simple improvement to make and sometimes it takes six months of performing mm-hmm. to like work it out of yourself. For me, it was mostly about like relaxing um, during shows. And not in just like, it wasn't like a nerves thing. It was just like to cool your brain down. Mm-hmm. Even like during a scene about like, uh, uh, um, I think even you might've given me this m- note like early on in Megawatt of like, throwing too many logs into a fire. Mm-hmm without like just relaxing and like letting what you have in there like burn, which is something that took, I'm still kind of working on it. Um, I think that it's a little bit of like, it's, it's, it's also about me trusting the people I work with, trusting the other people on my team to take what I say or moves I make and honor them properly. Uh, and on me to, take time to honor my teammates choices properly before I make a thousand Mm -hmm. on my own, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then, you know, that's like a hard, like big thing. And that's something that like sometimes as a team, I think we struggle with on metal boy. And I think that it's, uh, sometimes a symptom, it's something that happens during shows that you feel aren't working. Mm -hmm. You know, you get five or six minutes into a show, um, and you get this like, Oh, like, are we? Is this like, is the show not working right? Like, T- we- time
1: to put some lighter fluid on this, yeah,
0: exactly. And that can be that can make the situation so much, so much worse, yeah, you know. Um, and it took me, it's taken me a long time to like work that out of my system as much as I have,
1: yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, the, you know, to just to stick with that image for a second, there. I think in most situations, it's a mistake. Once you've evaluated your show is like not working, Mm -hmm. you know that you can make this, you have your go-to funny things that you know will get a laugh and you know we're going to get this on track. So you'll go for it. And it's like, okay, this is dying out. So here's a little lighter fluid onto it. This will temporarily get it burning again. I think that's a mistake if it's coming out of recognizing that the show is not working Mm -hmm. because what ends up happening is, especially on a good team, this can be trouble. Um, people will just rely on doing their own funny thing together up there. And they stop really working as a team for the same goals. They stop recognizing the same goals. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like every man for himself. Why it's so dangerous for a good team is they'll be able to pull it off. And your average audience member won't be any wiser for it. They will walk away and say, funny show. And that's all they care about. And a good team, that's like the critical point where you can learn to get super lazy all of a sudden and not have to try as hard anymore. Yep. But if a show is really working uh, uh, and you know that you have this tendency to kind of put lighter fluid into the fire when it doesn't need it, that can be one of the best times to do it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like yes. Because then it's coming from this place of like, absolutely, let's let's mess with this thing that we're creating.
0: And that's, that's what you learn working with one team for a long time. Yeah. You know, that's a big part. And again, that, that's also like a good role for a coach yeah. is to be like, you know, I mean, uh, we had a uh, uh, Bucks Rock alum, uh, Alana Fishbein, um, for a long time. And she was a, she, in my opinion, was like uh, vital to shaping us as a team and pointing us in the right direction and not letting us be lazy during shows and not letting us be lazy during rehearsal. Mm. And I think especially at the beginning in our first, you know, year as a team, like that was so important for like, like we, we knew we had something, but we needed to lock it in, you know, it's like, can you lock down what works? Um, and still be able after that to evolve. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause we have changed, you know, I, I mean, uh, to, to talk about like Woody and Matt, it's like, uh, we got seven months in. Uh, And we're a team that's working. We're a team that got, it was my first team that lasted more than six months. Only my second team that lasted more than three months, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And I was like, yes, like this is working. Like we work. Um, And then Woody is like, oh, I'm leaving for a year. And it's like, oh oh God, (laughs) like uh, there's this like fear of like, oh, we're losing. Like, I mean, Woody is, I don't need to say that he's a great performer. He's obviously like a fantastic performer and he's a, like a solid veteran presence to have in a room. Um, and then it's like, okay, now we're getting this new guy who none of us really knew. None of us really knew Matt. I don't think. Um, uh, and we don't know what he's going to be like, really. We don't know what he's like as a teammate. Uh, we don't know what his energy will do to our shows. You know, there was this like fear. Um, and he really like, uh, Matt was, again, enough of a veteran to slip in and it never really felt like a change. Mm -hmm. It it did feel different. Our shows, I think, changed after that just naturally because they have to because we had one less person and a new person. But it didn't feel like we were a new team. And Matt, I think, clicked with our style really quickly. Um, And it was just like, oh, yeah, like this doesn't like there was never any panic You know, it was like, and we also had a month of both of them, which like really helped that transition. Uh, And just like, it just kept flowing, you know, and like nobody freaked out. um, And we were able to like click Matt in uh, and like, maybe like Matt changed us a little bit. And like, maybe we, like maybe Matt changed his performance style a little bit Mm -hmm. when he joined. Um, I don't think either one was huge um and it just like kept rolling and now yeah. we have woody back and it's like that's a change too you know even getting him back he was gone a year um which is a, a more than a year he's gone like a year and a half i think um and i might be wrong a year and 3 months i don't remember or about <laughs> that yeah yeah um and it's like well are we going to be different now yeah. like now we're nine people which is a lot it's a lot of people and sometimes there are times when during shows i feel that more than others, yeah, and it's shocking how much a difference just, like, one additional person makes, but it doesn't, we feel like the same, I think we feel like the same team, I think, like, um, I think we're still evolving, and we're changing, uh, which is good, but I think at our core, we're still, like, we're still metal boy, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you guys have, like, a spirit. Yeah. That, like... I don't know. Sometimes you'll be on a team where like everyone's technically great and you get along and you love each other, but like the spirit isn't there. Yeah. And so you don't really have a sense of like direction. Isn't exactly the word I'm after because I don't mean that you have like a goal, but you just kind of all know which way is North Mm -hmm. and, uh, sometimes you're lucky enough to be on a team where you have that spirit. Sometimes you're on a team where there are three people who insist that they know the spirit (laughs) and everyone else is a dummy. And those are nightmare experiences. Mm. Um, But like you guys have that where like the spirit is there. And so it seems to be pretty easy to accommodate and adapt to whatever small changes happen Mm -hmm. or whatever big changes happen Yeah, because it just feeds right back into like, you know, where North is.
0: Yeah. And you know, we've had, Co- coaching changes, uh, lineup changes, uh, a ton of form changes. Like mm-hmm. to talk about, you know, a little bit about what we're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, so what we're doing is we are getting a, the name of the form we will be performing at our next show at our previous show. And during our rehearsal, we build a brand new form based off the audience's title, mm-hmm. um, which I think I, <sighs> I'm like so happy about how it's going because we were like, oh, we'll do this for four shows. And since like I, we've been doing it for th- almost three months, December will be our third month of doing it. And I don't see us slowing down and yeah. not doing it. Um, and it is like, it is a big change because we're not doing a regular form. Um, but and we're not able to carry the lessons we learn from one form to another necessarily. Um, I mean, we can a little bit but you know, you don't get that comfort of like, oh, if we have a bad show doing the form we've decided on, we can look at the the, the things we need to do to make the form work.
1: Better. Right. It's not like, how do we improve our second beat?
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's like if a show doesn't work, sometimes we're like, well, we need to like, when we build the form, think about this aspect of it more. Yeah. You know, I think that's sort of the lessons we're learning and it's great and it's super fun. And it's like, it feels very like creative uh, and freeing, you know? Um, And also it like allows us like, not all of those shows. I mean, like (laughs) we, we all sort of like approach. Some of us look through shows with like rose colored glasses. I Mm. think I have a tendency to do that, to see the better parts of a show Mm. versus someone like Woody, (laughs) who as we all know has a tendency to see like the more negative parts of a show. And like, that's not bad um, at all. Like, I think it works for him and like my thing works for me, you know, you actually need that balance of forces yes. on the team. Yeah, uh, definitely. And like, but when we do have shows that we're not happy with, it's a lot easier to toss them away. Yeah. And be like, Well, we'll never do that form him again. Like yeah. goodbye for him, you know? Um, well, I actually think like, and, and like for
1: transparency's sake, I should say that I'm, I am lucky enough to get to be involved with you guys on this. You're coaching us right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like the process of these shows is basically you get the, the name of the form, and then in that week's rehearsal, uh, whoever has ideas for what that brings up in mind pitches those ideas. There's a brief conversation about it, and then you try a bunch of stuff out until one looks like it clicks, and then it's like, okay, do that. Yeah, here's what we're doing. Do it. Um, I personally think it's important, and you guys have pulled off a handful of like really good ones. Yeah, I think it's important you have a couple of stinkers in there. Oh too. yeah,
0: and we have, and and I think those have also come from. I think a couple of times in rehearsals, we've been a little indecisive yeah. and run out of time yeah. to polish stuff. And I think that, I think a couple times that was negative and a couple of times it worked out fine. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, you know it's interesting because like to me, there's two things about that. One is like, well, the lesson is decisiveness.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The,
1: the key thing. And you guys are good enough. And this is the kind of what's like exciting about getting to work this, this side of the improv street is you're good enough that you don't have to really worry about the insecurity about how do we improvise well anymore. It's just like taken for granted that you're going to know how to pull off your scene work. And you know, that's a given. So now it's just a question of let's make a choice and be decisive about it together. Good or bad. Let's do it.
0: And that, that again uh, speaks to, I, I don't think that a Megawatt team who's only been around for six months can do it and not, not to like knock Teams, it's not about quality of performance. It's about like you have to be comfortable enough to be honest. Yes, that's a huge part of it. That's a huge part of why this is working. Yes, it's because all there's nobody in that room. None of the nine of us feel self conscious about being honest about how they feel about anything that's going on. Yeah, you know, and that's I think that's been true since probably our six months to a year period of like we are comfortable, we respect each other enough to always respect an opinion even if it's the opposite of how we feel mm-hmm. you know which is another just big thing about a being on an improv team and b being a human being in the world you know well, it's it's again like
1: a marriage in that sense of yeah. you earn the right to have a fight with each other if you need to and for that fight to not break up the marriage at all even mm-hmm. though you guys don't fight about it it's just yeah people will throw out ideas and, and will be comfortable in saying like no, no yeah not a fan of that <laughs>
0: idea Or even after we do one, just being like, "No, that didn't work." Yeah, you know, which is like, like, yeah, awesome. Yeah,
1: awesome. It's it should not work all the time. If it did, it would defeat its own purpose. Yeah, it's not magic, but it's a lot of work that goes into making it look like it's magic. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, which is true. Discipline
0: improv in a lot of senses.
1: Absolutely, Um, but like, I think it's like vital that like it keeps you guys honest to not be able to pull
0: everyone off. Yeah,
1: I think that's really important. Oh
0: no, definitely. yeah. And, and like, I also, <laughs> uh, I use, uh, Elena Scopetos, my girlfriend. Yeah. Um,
1: congratulations on that. By thank way, you. Both of you.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, as a sounding board mm. a lot for those, uh, both when like I'm trying to think of ones and I pitch them to her and sometimes I'll come back from rehearsal and be like, this is what we decided. Um, and, uh, she, <laughs> I mean, to talk about on that. Okay. okay. To talk about like our relationship and like a little bit of a larger sense, we are both performers and we're both comedians and we've both seen each other perform a lot. And again, I mean, like, this is like a pillar of a relationship. Um, but, uh, we're both like honest with each other and trust each other's opinions about stuff. You know, there've been times when I've walked off a stage and been like, man, like I I'm not happy with what I did mm-hmm. on that stage. And it doesn't, help me to go uh to elena and be like man i wasn't happy with that and she's like no 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 like you did fine you did fine you did fine you know um like we're both comfortable enough with each other for me to be like yeah like i wasn't happy and she'd be like yeah well like you know it was like this thing you were doing a little bit but like at the same time like there were these larger things that worked and like that's what makes me feel better mm-hmm. um and so with this form thing it's like i'm able to also turn that to her and be like oh yeah we're gonna do this and this and this and A lot of times she'll be like, oh, like that sounds hilarious. Or she'll be like, well, you guys might want to watch out for like this thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, like that's like a nice like pair of eyes for like me to turn to. Um, I think we always do that. I think we always uh, uh, trust each other enough to uh, be honest with our opinions about each other's work.
2: Yeah,
1: I am dating Megan Gray. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And uh, we, it's sort of similar with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, the worst she'll ever say to me after a show is uh, not your strongest show.
2: <laughs> right.
1: But like, that's enough. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I'm a very insecure performer. Mm-hmm. I, I I get the same high that you're talking about. Yeah. But I don't have nearly the confidence uh, <laughs> in, in myself to like, I second guess a lot after shows. Mm-hmm. Whether a show went really well or not, I second guess immediately a lot. Yeah. So it's like really important to me that if I check in with Megan about it, I, it's important that she be able to say not your strongest show because yeah. however much that will sting, uh, um, I know that I can trust her when she doesn't say
0: that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like, it makes the... Positive,
1: yes. Feedback, so much more. Okay, you've you've allayed my fears. I feel like shit, but you're telling me that was good. So yeah, like, okay, exactly. Thank goodness.
0: Yeah, and yeah. it's you know it's a, like uh, it's definitely like a a, a two way street of yeah. positive and negative um, feedback. And it's not like I don't want people to think that like Elena and I like give each other notes after shows. which is certainly not the case. No, but, like, it's
1: having somebody to
0: just to talk it, to, to it. trust. Yeah, it's exactly. having somebody to
1: trust. You know, like I I. I uh, I've seen firsthand people who live by the creed of like, well, you always got to be honest and, and they don't understand that sometimes like it's just like being cruel and dickish yeah, and b- blunt. blunt and critical yeah. about everything. And like one thing with improv is like you need someone that you can trust, mm-hmm. but it's also the long game that you're playing. And like, just because you drop the ball in a show doesn't mean that you need to hear about it or be given detailed criticism about like, it's like you drop the ball periodically. The long game in it is if you look back on the last 400 shows that you did, 387 (laughs) of those shows, you fucking killed it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, And that's the important thing. And that's a pretty amazing ratio if that's your ratio too. And
0: and even when you have three tough ones in a row, or if, you know, like I perform enough that like I could have three bad shows in a week, you know, and like that sometimes is like, uh, you like well, like do when when do I start doubting myself? Um, And so you know to have that person to be like no, like there's no reason to yes. do that.
1: Or to say to you, yeah, you're getting like a little, you're getting a little bossy up there. Yeah, or, yeah, or, or like you're doing. This why thing. are you hanging back? Yeah, get out. They need you to do. Yeah,
0: no, yeah, and like she is like, I mean, uh, dating a performer is being a performer and dating another one is interesting, as I'm sure you're aware. Mm-hmm. Um, But we, we like watching each other. I mean, that's like a big, I think that's a thing that like early on in our relationship, when we started seeing each other perform, I think it was like a big relief that like, oh, like good. Like she is like, uh, like, I remember the first time I performed for her and she's talked to me about this later where like, she was like, so happy that I did a good job. Thank
1: God he's funny. Yeah,
0: thank God he's funny because, like, yeah. if I wasn't, and this is something I've committed myself to, she's gonna have to just lie to me yeah. for three years, um, which I don't think she does. Um,
1: you guys, we should say too, we're contracted today for three years. That yes. was your you
0: signed and that we're together, up. yeah. Oof. Um, but uh, we just had our three month, in, three year anniversary. Congratulations, as well as thank you. Um, but she's also like, I mean, she is out of my league as a performer Mm -hmm. uh, and a person. (laughs) Um, uh, But I mean, I'm just constantly, consistently uh, uh, stunned by her work on stage. I mean, uh, and off stage, but um, she just like, it's like, you know, I started watching her perform and she was, you know, this incredible performer who could, who, you know, it's like, the the has this ability to both be the star of an improv show and the most important supporting person mm. that versatility we were talking mm-hmm. about. Um, and then she does the cast where it's this weekly challenge of, I mean, everyone on everyone on the cast is amazing. Um, I've seen a lot of cast shows. Uh, and it's just like every week. Every genre, it's like, I'm always amazed. I'm always like, how can you be good in another? Like, how can you also be able to do this and this and this and this well? Uh, You know, they've done like what? Like 104 shows they've been around for long enough. That's like, it's like, like every genre, you know? And then like, and then she does Sisters 3. It's like, okay, well, here's this whole other, like, I'm just constantly, constantly in awe of her abilities uh, uh, to perform. Yeah, And so, and so, when I get off a stage and I don't feel good about it. And she says, no, you should feel good about that show. That means something. That means something. Yeah. yeah. it be like really means. Something. And you know, I hope vice versa. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it makes that statement all the more powerful.
1: It just makes me think of like what you were saying about camp of, of like finding your people at camp. Yeah. There's something about this lifestyle of like being surrounded by your people of, of, and I, I define, our people in the world of improv as uh, funny in that way where, all right, I trust your intelligence and judgment. Mm -hmm. Like I forget who I was having this conversation with this week. Being that good at comedy uh, um, means that you are unmistakably really smart. Yeah. I can trust your perceptions on things. Mm -hmm. It's unfakeable.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You can fake smartness, you can fake every other kind of smartness except being really funny and really sharp. That's the one thing where if I now, I know that whatever you have to say, I can trust. And you find your people with that and having someone that you can take their opinion to heart and help to reinforce because like you do get fucking crazy insecure as an improviser. And you do, I have found that as often as not, I'll do moves that apparently are great moves that leave me feeling cold and slightly sad. And I couldn't tell you why. Mm -hmm. And then I'll do stuff that I thought was amazing and boy, (laughs) no one else (laughs) likes it. So when you have someone who you know that like, Oh, your judgment is really solid. You're not only an amazingly talented performer, but like you can't fake that mind that you have. And Mm -hmm. you told me that that worked. Okay. Yeah. I believe you. I'll, I will, I will get over these bad feelings I have.
0: And it's also like, again, like going back to like finding your people, a view of the world of this, like anything, everything is a joke, Mm -hmm. you know, like to quote uh, like Watchmen where it's like, it's all just a big joke, you know? And like anything can be made fun of and everything is funny. And like, obviously, like, I think to talk about sort of uh, more modern events, it's like, I think the improv community is slowly learning the edges of that in a way that we haven't in like, I think it's probably been like the last like five ish years that it's gotten like a little more serious of like, well, no, no, there are, there are some edges and there are some boundaries and there are some things that aren't okay to do during an improv show when like that opinion may not have been around, certainly not like 15, 20 years ago, maybe Mm -hmm. not that I was improvising then, but Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And so, uh, when you like find someone who shares your view of the world and your opinions and your shares your edges, you know, uh, like I think Elena and I do. And I think that, you know, we just like laugh constantly. Yeah. It's like, so it's, you know, the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me is this like finding a person who like. We can talk seriously about comedy. Um, again, going back to like, we both we both feel, uh, we both know that this is important to the other one. We both know how important it is to the other one. And we can talk seriously about comedy and still like constantly like make each other laugh. Um, but yeah, and like, uh, to going back to what I was saying, like, yeah, like I think that it's, I think that we're in a very interesting time in improv in this city. Um, about like, there's a lot of like issues that the improv community is addressing in a certain way, um, that I wish the world at large was as well, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and like starting to take a few things a little more seriously than we have, you
1: mm-hmm. know? It, it's interesting times. Yeah. It, it, both in regards to what you're saying, where, I don't think that a person has the license to... And I think that comedians can be pretty fucking arrogant. Mm. Oh, 100%. And and really where the driving thing is like, it feels great to score laughs. A lot of comedians will justify that as like, uh, um, I'm keeping everyone else honest or like whatever fucking thing they have to say, which I think is a bunch of
2: nonsense.
1: (laughs) Uh, um, You have to exercise taste, judgment, compassion, good sense. You know what I mean? All that stuff goes into it. I don't think that it's a thing. I have mixed feelings about like topics being off limits, right? you know, like, but I don't think that it's a thing of, okay, we can make anything funny. I don't know that I agree with that.
0: Mm.
1: We certainly can't make anything funny right now. There are certain things that, you know what I mean? Like, but I do think that there's a sensibility and in my mind, it's, it is married to a kind of intelligence it's a way of looking at the world in total. That's not about, I can make fun of anything, but it's a, just having a, uh, there, I don't think English has the right word for what I'm trying to express with this. It has a a, a sensibility of kind of seeing the game everywhere you look. Yeah. And having a, a perspective on it. Not that you don't recognize how like deadly serious everything is, uh, but somehow having a, a perspective of lightness towards it that makes it intelligible and okay for us to kind of grasp that and deal with it and not just throw ourselves off a fucking cliff. Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, yes,
0: yeah, it's, it's like uh, uh, some issues are just more fragile yes. than others. And there's like, there's a lot you can do with a basketball but there's not a lot you can do with like an ornament, Right. you know? And it's like, are you smart enough as a performer to see those things and know how to handle each of them when they come up during shows? Right. Like, yeah, I agree with the general statement that like nothing should be taboo in improv. Um, but I think you have to know how to handle things. Mm-hmm. You have to know how to handle the more sensitive issues. And I like, I don't, I definitely like in my life, have walked off stages and been like, you know, when that came up, I didn't handle that. Right.
1: Well, to say that nothing is taboo in improv, if you're going to say that, then you have to counterbalance that by saying, well, there's a great deal of responsibility that comes along with
0: that. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Which sounds silly to talk about in that context, but it's, it's, it's similar to the kind of responsibility of you guys are in charge of this show. Mm-hmm. So if you fuck it up, yeah, you have a bad show. Yep. You're responsible. And sometimes that thing of like, well, nothing's off, off, you know the table we can make fun of anything sometimes that will be used as a defense by stupid people doing hackneyed comedy
0: or mean comedy
1: or mean comedy yeah. you know what i mean and it's a way to basically be a bully and get your aggression out and then put it on the other person for being so uh yeah why are you uh, so
0: sensitive about, about it? it Yeah, it's just like it's like bullying 101 yes you know and it's it's that uh, uh like even again going back to being a teenager uh when i started at bucks rock um there, the CITs, my first and second summer were uh, actually the CIT, one of the CITs, my first summer was Alana uh, um, uh But uh, I think my second, third summer, there was just like a group of 16 year old boys who uh, were, in my opinion, like mean mm-hmm. and they were mean to me and they worked at the clown shop. Um, and like, you know, I was 13, 12, 13, 14. And like, there was a lot of aspects about who I was that were rife for being made fun of, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I, I, I will never forget the way that being made fun of by them felt and how it felt, how I knew they were being funny. Mm-hmm. How I was like, Oh, what they're saying about me is funny. Mm-hmm. And like, I know that, but, like that feeling has been locked into me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I just, I've never been attracted to that, like to mean (laughs) comedy and like, yeah, like you can like, again, this goes back to uh, relating it back to metal boy where it's like, there are each of us in different scenes have been like the one who gets made fun of. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's like, I know, I know those people, I know those other eight people so well that I know that no matter what they say, it's coming from like a place of like, we want the show to be good. And I also know that for me, when I'm like, when we're making fun of Pat in a scene, it's like, there's a right way to do that. And there's a wrong way to do that, you know? Um, And uh, I think, I also know that like, he's cool with whatever, you know?
1: I, you know, I I can't make this prediction. Trump's America is, comedy is in an interesting position in Trump's America. Mm-hmm. So this is a tough one to call, but I do think that comedy communities, improv community, there's a little bit of like a laboratory in there for like better ways of thinking responsibly and intelligently. Yeah. With that ability to see the joke behind the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I, like I have to retain that in my heart that like we're a laboratory for better ways of thinking together.
0: I mean I also I don't wanna make I don't wanna make too big a prediction because yeah. God knows what the next anything can happen period of time in this country is gonna be like mm-hmm. I part of me always thinks that comedians will find a way mm-hmm. in both like to show up and do what we love in the right way. Um, and to find the right things to poke at. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I always think, I mean, this is such a unique situation in this country, but I still am like, I'm happy. I'm if I'm going to be in any community in the world right now, I wouldn't be surrounded by comedians.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. All right, it's time to get serious, Sam Gal. Mm. In fact, it's time to improvise seriously. In sure. fact, it's time to improvise a very serious scene opposite a jar of pickles. Do we have a jar? Oh, we have it right here next to me. Okay. So here's how it goes. I'm going to give you a wow. scenario for a for it's a scene. Like
0: a, for listeners at home, it's in like a and d velvet dice bag.
1: This is courtesy of Evan Ford Barden, <laughs> a dice bag. What is the symbol on the bag? Obviously. Oh, great. Oh, cool. It's an audience well, it looks like a d This looks right, like, doesn't it? That- it looks like the sigil to one of the houses of fortune or something. Yeah. <laughs> In the bag here, we have our, our jar of pickles. So that's going to okay. be your scene partner. Mm-hmm. The rule of this, Sam, is that you're, we're, I'm going to give you 60 seconds to improvise a very serious scene. You're improvising it to your scene partner. And the rule is that when you refer to your scene partner, you have to refer to it as jar of pickles. That is its proper
0: name. And you're asking me to be serious? As
1: serious as you can be.
0: Great. I'll do my best. Great.
1: All right. Today's suggestion comes to us courtesy of Abby Russell, uh, um, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. Dingleberry Finn <laughs> on Twitter. So Dingleberry Finn, Abby Russell. And hey, everyone, what is our situation today? Uh, Sam wants to uh, divorce with his wife because he has cancer. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Dingleberry uh, uh, Finn that's Dingleberry Finn,
0: so I don't want to tell her that You that's don't the want reason. to tell
1: her you are sick, okay, you don't want her to know that reason, <clears throat> and so instead, Sam, you're making it easier on your wife. You're being a jerk to your wife. You're doing that classic move. you're being a jerk to get her to not like you anymore so that she will divorce you rather than tell her the sad news that you are sick, okay, very serious scene.
0: so i'm trying to I'm trying to get her to divorce me, I think so you'.
1: Yeah, take it, take it, uh, wh- it. however it comes.
0: Uh, I, jar of pickles. I just, I want to be like honest. And like, I think we both agree that like, I just don't, I just don't think it's working anymore. I, are you jar of pickles? Are you, are you happy? Cause like, I, I feel like it's been a long time since I've been. Um, no, there's no, 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 there's no one else. Of course, no, I that's, that is something I would not do. But I think us staying together doesn't, I just, I just, um, I don't think it makes sense anymore. Um, look, if, I want, I want you to be happy. I do. And I don't think I'm making you happy anymore. I think that's what it, I, for me, that's, that's all it comes down to. The kids will understand. <laughs> the kids will understand.
1: A very serious scene <laughs> opposite oh, a Jar Pickles. God. It made me sad. It made me sad too. And that's the hallmark of an excellent very serious <laughs> scene. Evan, I think that that was our best serious scene yet with the jar of pickles. I'm going to go ahead and call it. I could wow, I really? could I could taste the subtext yeah. in the room. Very heavy stuff.
0: <sighs> Sam Rogal, plug yeah. some stuff for us. Uh, I don't know if I have too much to plug besides like <laughs> I'm on this team called Metal Boy. Huzzah. That's every Wednesday. Um, every Wednesday. Um, uh, we're at 10 o'clock all through December. I don't know when this is going to drop. This
1: will happen. It'll still be in the 10 o'clock sequence. This will be in December.
0: Great. Um, uh, uh, Friday night show, every Friday at 8.30. Uh, Sam Rogal on Twitter and Instagram. Nice. Um, feel free to hit me up. Um, yeah. I mean, like, that's, those are the, oh, and Story Pirates, which we didn't, but yeah, I'm also a story pirate, uh, storypirates.org. Great organization. Uh, uh, we take stories written by kids, turn them into amazing shows. I'm sure other people on this podcast have talked about it till they're blue in the face. We've we've discussed. Yeah, so you all know about it. It's an amazing organization that you uh, everyone should become involved with in one way or another. Fantastic,
1: Sam Rogal, Thank you very much and for Kornfeld. talking.
0: Thank you for having me. A oh,
1: pleasure. Uh, a couple of other big thank yous, of course, to our engineer and producer, Evan Ford-Barden to our executive producer, Ed Herbstman to, uh, the donator of today's suggestion for a very serious scene, Abby Russell, AKA Dingleberry Finn on Twitter. Uh, if you have a suggestion for a very serious scene, please uh, hit us up on Twitter. You can tweet us at at uh, magnet theater. Uh, that's Twitter magnet theater. Uh, thank you very much for doing that uh thank you everyone for listening if you enjoyed the podcast please go onto itunes give us a shout out a positive rating would certainly be much appreciated uh the happiest of holidays to those of you listening in the holiday season i think that's it i think i covered it very nicely all right cool sam thanks for being here man hey thanks for having me thanks everyone and good <laughs> you've been listening to the magnet podcast This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theatre for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.